0: Let's see, it's now the 12th of February, 2006. We're discussing Lesson 14 for Epistle to the Hebrews. Let's open in prayer. Now, Father, our King, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for every day that you give us. We thank you for opportunities uh, to uh, minister to, other, to each other, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you, Father, that one way that we serve you is in the study of your word. And we ask that you might reveal yourself to us through it. As we know that you have, we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Baruch Adonai, Hamborach, Baruch Adonai, Hamborach, leOlam Vaid, Baruch Hata Adonai, Elohim Melek Haolam, Asher Bachabanu Mikoha Amin, VeNatan Lanuet, Horato, Baruch Hata Adonai, Noten haTorah. Torah. Amen. Bless Adonai who is blessed. Bless Adonai who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, who chose us from among all the peoples and gave to us His Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Lesson 14. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Is that blurry? No, a little bit. Okay. (laughs) No, that's all right. (laughs) Yeah, 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 the candle's fine. Um, What what does it mean that. uh, What is atonement first? Covering? Cover. Yeah. Keep. I mean Kippur Yom Kippur the day of coverings uh, to cover the top of the Ark of the Covenant was a covering it's the same word same root Um, but it says the blood makes atonement for the soul what's it mean by soul nefesh actually is the word life of the flesh the same word as
1: soul Where is, where in that? this is for the life of the flesh and the blood yeah the nephesh yeah. it might actually be the same word because I know that soul is in Hebrew nephesh is, is pretty much life there is other implications it implies very strong passionate emotions very strong needs but it's mostly translated life.
0: That's good, that's good. And, and that's, the, that's the point. One of the problems is when we approach this from a Greek perspective, we have the idea that the soul is the invisible part of a man. It is. It is. Nefesh is that. But in this, it's not speaking of that. It's speaking of the fact that you're alive. If you are a human being, uh, a son of Adam, or daughter of Adam, then you have a soul uh, by nature the fact that God breathed into Adam. Uh, the breath of life, and that soul is is a is is that word nefesh is representative of the fact that you're alive. That's it. So it's not it's not speaking of something. Uh, not to say there isn't such a thing as a, as a soul as we refer to it, but it's not speaking necessarily of the unseen part. It's basically it's that you're alive. Uh, when when uh, when we declare an emergency on an airplane a pilot declares an emergency on an airplane, the air traffic control will immediately call back. The first question they ask is the number of souls aboard. They're not asking you to be able to differentiate between uh, the dogs that are in the belly and the human beings that are above. They're simply saying, we carry dogs down in the cargo compartment, right? Uh, They're saying, how many... Human beings do you have on the airplane? Not many. How many seats did you sell? Uh, you know, how many, how, many, uh, how many people are actually on the airplane, babies included? And that's the souls aboard. They don't want to know the difference of crew. Usually people will respond. We have eight crew and 112 passengers. But the point is, their question is how many souls aboard? And it's just simply talking about human beings. And that's what it's referring to in this, in this passage here. As opposed to, it's very important. As opposed to the idea of an eternal... By the way, that is an eternal life in in, in that regard to you. But as as opposed to that part of you that lives forever. Right? We're going to to talk about that here in a moment. Uh, By looking at the high priest of Yeshua a couple weeks ago, comparing and contrasting the priest Lord of Aaron, we learn they differ in domain. Where do they serve? They serve in different places. Uh, And hence in duration... Uh, What's the duration? The priesthood of Aaron is eternal, but the priests of Aaron are not. They die. However, Yeshua is a priest forever because he lives forever. His, His priesthood is forever under the order of Melchizedek because that order is forever, just like Aaron's order is forever. The difference is, and it's why it's a superior priesthood, is this priest doesn't die. Or, more importantly, he's come alive again and he will never die again. So he's etern- he is eternal. So the same priest serves. Uh, it's, it's superior for other reasons as well. We saw it. it's superior because he's, he's uh, without sin. Uh, he doesn't have to offer, offer uh, sacrifices uh, for himself. It's superior because the place in which he serves, the temple in which he serves, is, a, is, a, uh, is in heaven, which therefore it is not subject to the corruptions of sin and the corruption of being in a sinful Domain, therefore, uh, it is a permanent, a permanent uh, uh, sacrifices can be made, a permanent forgiveness of sins. The problem Exodus forty thirty three through thirty five. You look this up. We've talked about it several weeks now. The problem was that Moses erects a tabernacle. He has a priesthood, Aaron and his sons four sons are ready to serve they've been consecrated everything is correct and right god's spirit depend, uh, descends his uh, shekinah his his visible presence of whatever however it's visible his glory fills the place and drives moses from it and no one can approach it there's a, that's the problem. The problem is resolved, of course, and always was. God planned on it. Leviticus one one. That's the end of Exodus. Leviticus one one through two starts with here's the solution, and it talks about burnt offerings. Leviticus one one. Go there real quick. So the problem is we have a tabernacle as we need because this is where God is going to dwell among them. We have a priesthood that we need in order to bring. Sacrifices, but we didn't have sacrifices. So that's the way Leviticus 1, one starts. Now, Hashem called to Moses and spoke to him, saying from the tabernacle of being, saying, excuse me, from the tabernacle of being, saying. In other words, he's inside and he calls out to Moses. This is perfect, right? Moses can't approach. He, he's inside, he calls out to Moses. Speak to the children of Israel, say to them, when any one of you brings an offering, and that word is korban, to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. Okay? So this is the first uh, mention, or excuse me, this is the this is the first usage of this word korban in relationship to the tabernacle or the uh, temple. Okay, actually there were atonements that were made for the tabernacle. It was anoint it was anointed, right? But this is the this is where he's saying this is how it's going to work. If you want to use this tabernacle, this is the way it's going to work for so the actual people to approach. Okay, let's look at Cain and Abel, because this is the first usage of these, of the idea of, actually it comes from Minkah. Genesis 4, 1 through 15. Let's read it. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again. This time, his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flocks, and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it's desirous for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain arose up, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said to him, Why had what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has been which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely I have you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a ba- vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him and kill him should find him and finding him should kill him. Both Cain and Abel offered of their labors. I asked the question what were their what was their profession? Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the flocks or a shepherd. Uh, Cain offered of the fruit of the ground, and Abel offered from the flocks. Traditionally, it's viewed well, Abel offered a bad offering. Excuse me, Abel offered the right offering because it was had blood in it. Right? That's the point. It had blood in it. In other words, it was an animal sacrifice that is the way that it's presented. If you've done your homework, you know that that's not necessarily true. Because there's not just some offerings that are grain offerings. There's significant offerings that are grain only. Well, grain with possibly with, with, uh, with uh, uh, lavona or uh, frankincense. Um, and olive oil, right? So, what's what's the problem? What's the problem with Cain's offering? Did Cain do something wrong in offering the fruit of the ground? No. Absolutely not. What we're going to read when we get to Leviticus uh, chapter 2 is that's the whole chapter is about offering an offering that is from the fruit of the ground. So it's not it's not the fruit of the ground that's the problem. Well, first of all, let's ask the question. Maybe people don't ask, ask it. Why were Cain and Abel offering offerings? All the Bible
1: says is that in the course of time, it was the right off
0: Somehow, yeah. How did? What did they know? I mean, they knew something. It didn't come out of the blue. Maybe then they were old
1: enough to make an offering on their good, own. Good. Good. I don't know. But we're done. Really? It doesn't. Kiss,
0: it, it, it doesn't say. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. You know, I, I ask the question: Is is there an inference as to why they brought the offerings? And I think that it, there is one here. Uh, first of all, it's, it's a mincha, the offering they offer is a mincha, which is actually the word for grain offering, as we see in, in, in Leviticus chapter two. So. Um, but, but something interesting here in, in Cain's response when he's being, essentially, he's recognizing his curse. He says, my punishment, verse 13, is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive. He, there's a, there's a inference that, that there's some desire for man to be in the presence of God. It's, it is a worship experience of some sort. Uh, we cannot relate to it uh, necessarily because it's not part of our it's not part of our ritual experience. But in fact, there, these men understood that there was something about bringing an offering that brought you near to God, and so hence that's what they did. Uh, what was the what was the problem with Cain? And it actually he actually says the problem he says speaking of actually first starting with what was right with Abel it says the Lord what, what did Abel do first of all what he, brought from the, he brought from his flocks but which ones did he bring from his flocks we are meant to understand that this is somehow different from what that's the different thing that between Cain and Abel not the not necessarily the offering but which part did he bring he brought the first fruits ok and as 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 we as as you may have seen, there's first fruits offering and grain offerings as well. That's exactly what uh, um, uh, the feast of first fruits during the Passover week is all about. It's about bringing the first fruits of the barley. Uh, so we see here that it's the first fruits uh, that 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 Abel brings. What did Cain bring? He brings the fruit of the ground. It says the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. This is a really big clue as to the purpose of offerings. They 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 are somehow a representative of the person. We even say that when we go to work, you know, we bring we bring home uh, a, a pay or whatever else. It's it's the fruit of our labors, right? And what do we do with the fruit of our labors? Well, what did Cain and Abel do with the fruit of their labors? The first thing that Abel did was give it to God as a representation of himself. The first thing that Cain did was give to God, but it doesn't say that he brought the first fruits. I think we're meant to see a contrast there, that he doesn't bring the first fruits. And the response is God did not respect Cain, however, he did respect Abel there's a connection between the offering and the person okay the problem was Cain not his offering the problem was Cain
1: that's right that's right, right.
0: Which is exactly what we get later on in Hebrews here and we get back into the book and we actually see this as your your burnt offerings I did not desire and it's coming straight out of uh, I think it's Hosea talking about you know that basically you know these are an offense to me well how can how can something God's command be an offense to him? Well, if the heart is not along with the offering, if it's not truly an offering of yourself or a fill in for yourself, then obviously, it's not filling the point. It's not fulfilling its purpose. This is Cain's problem. Cain's problem is he basically is 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 he, he's the first evidence of a man who is consumed with ritual with no ref, rec, reference to the reality of what it is, what it means.
1: This is the same thing that Samuel said to Saul. That's right. God exactly. Offer your offerings and your sacrifices, would much rather have an obedient heart.
0: That's right. And an obedient heart would offer sacrifices, but it comes second, not first. That's right. That's that's the biggest difference between Cain and Abel, is in fact that Cain was rejected because his heart, his offering was rejected because his heart was not along with it. He didn't give the best. He didn't give the first fruits. Now it doesn't say that, but we can we know that it says God rejected him. And his offering. Abel, however, was accepted. His a- Abel's offering was accepted because he was accepted. It was a fill-in. It was like it was a representative of himself. Now, hold that thought because that's that's what we're going to see when we get into korban, specific, specifically Korban Allah. law, because I believe that's exactly what we re- what we're reading about. Maybe it wasn't co- called korban Allah, but we're reading about what korban Allah means, burnt offering, in, with Abel and Cain. I believe that's what they're doing. They are trying to come into the presence of God using korban, these offerings. Korban which is an ascending offering, uh, which is, is basically, it's, a, it's the ultimate in worship experience. The ultimate in worship experience. What's the purpose of Korban. Leviticus four, four twenty. Korban is the word. Anytime you see offerings, it's talking about korban. Okay. Uh, I use the word sacrifices throughout this uh, throughout this book because that's the word that we use in English more than anything else. And The reason why I used it instead of saying offering sacrifices instead of saying offering is because um, most people who come from a traditional Christian background offering means you know it's kind of like that's what you put in the plate. An offering plate, you know, uh, and and so we've we've got words that are we use sacrifice sounds kind of like bloody, you know, sacrifice, you know. Well, sacrifices and offerings uh, are English words that really mean the same thing. The reality is that offering is probably a better word because these are not animal sacrifices in the sense that you see pagan deities or whatever else requiring sacrifices or I have to make a sacrifice to appease this pagan deity. This is not about appeasing God. Okay? Uh, and that's oftentimes, believe it or not, that's oftentimes we use the word sacrifice, we get the idea that it has to satisfy God. Right? Satisfy Him so he'll leave us alone. We actually present it that way. Sin sacrifice, especially, as if, well, we say it. Somebody sins, so somebody's got to die. Well, that's true. That is absolutely true. But be very careful how you use that, because you, if you make it sound like God is, God is needs appeasement, then you're using this word incorrectly. So Korban is actually a good way to refer to it. It's an English transliteration, Korban. Actually, you find Korban in the in the, uh, in the Apostolic Scriptures transliterated straight into English, Korban, just like that, transliterated, where Yeshua speaks about the Pharisees, where they where they, where they basically were not caring for their... I think it was Matthew 15, not caring for their... Um, uh, is it Matthew 15? It's Mark 7. Mark 7, yeah, thanks. Where they're not caring for... Yes, it is Mark 7. We're not caring for their... Uh, uh, parents. Let's so say this is korban. Yeah. Anyway, atonement. The Leviticus 4:20. What is atonement? Uh, and it shall and it shall and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bulls as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. Don't confuse atonement with forgiveness. Okay. Atonement is a covering. Forgiveness is something else. So atonement and forgiveness. That's the purpose of korban. One purpose. Uh, what kind of korban? Did I do that? How about 510? What's this for? What kind of korban was 5, uh, 4, 420? Anybody know? Uh,
1: four-
0: yeah. Sin. Mm-hmm. Sin, that's a sin offering. Or sin, or Korban. Uh, 510. This is. Then uh, you know, that he shall offer the second, a burnt offering, this Korban, Olah, according to the prescribed manner, so the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin uh, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Okay, forgiveness and atonement, both. Again, what what uh, what korban was that? That's a sham, the guilt offering, or in some translations it'll say a trespass offering, which I like I like I like the trespass uh, because trespass gives the idea more more accurately relates what this what the asham is. Asham is someone. There's a division between. Uh, uh people or uh between God and man because of an oath or not fulfilling a responsibility okay is that tr- is that trespass
1: it
0: is it is a law in five ten yeah Asham yeah I'm sorry uh, hold on a second 510 is well I
1: think the whole chapter is the is the if and
0: ignorance, the ignorance, the shabber, the now uh, yeah Asham actually Asham is Asham is um chapter 5 is about Asham but it does mention Allah there but it says burnt offering anytime it says burnt offering it's talking about Allah but it's because Asham is hold on no this is not right Asham is actually eaten Yes, you're right. So that would not be there. If it's korban olah, it's not eaten. Okay. Six, 6 through 7. What was this? What was its purpose? Atonement and forgiveness. It says, Trespass offering for the Lord, so the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Atonement and forgiven. Leviticus 19.22 The priest shall make atonement with the ram, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him to 17.11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, we just read that, to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So, what is what are, what are Korban? What's the purpose of Korban? Basically, here, what's it talk about? For covering, atonement, and for forgiveness. Okay? the
1: key word that shows up a lot? Atonement. Atonement that uh, key phrase talks about it being a sweet savor to the Lord that's right mm-hmm. so there seems to be a, um, in addition to the issues beyond atonement and forgiveness there also seems to be this um, again I don't want to say more pleasing because that has the connotations to it it's maybe not the best way thought, but it's sort of like it's like a gift it's like a present something to not almost to like bless God with I guess so there is, there is more than just, I need something from God. Here's a
0: gift. Hold, on, hold on to that thought because, because when, you talk about, when you talk about Korban Olah, it best gives you the, this picture. We'll talk about it in a second when we talk about Korban Allah because that's exactly right. Um, Hebrews 10.4 and Hebrews 10.11. 11, this is the question I asked. It's a good question, I think. Not because I wrote, asked it, but it's a good question. <laughs> Hebrews ten four, what does it say? Let me look it up here. Okay. Says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Hebrews ten eleven, every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Well, we've just read one, two, three, four, five, five references in Leviticus, and they're not all of them. For, believe me, five references where it talks about atonement and forgiving of sins, and or forgiving of sins. And here in Hebrews 10, it says they didn't forgive sins. They didn't forgive for sins. No, it doesn't say
1: they'll forgive sins. It says they cannot take away sins.
0: Good. So, you've, you've seen that there is a there is a slight hint just in the uses of words. Now, I want you to understand the difference. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to be uh, to present something uh, to a group of people on on sacrifices, and and uh, in in the process of presenting it, um, a question came up afterwards. Well, if you present sacrifices in a good light, are you not are you not somehow detracting from the sacrifice of Yeshua? So the sacrifices, and here is what was told: the sacrifices didn't work. That's why we needed the sacrifice of Yeshua. The sacrifices didn't work. And I thought, now that's, well, first of all, the reason why this person brought it up was because I had taught exactly the opposite. They worked. Well, now, the Christian church traditionally does not teach that sacrifices worked. They teach that it does, actually there's variations, but basically they teach that they were a picture, or that they were a substitute, but they never really worked. Uh, here most commonly what is said is well Yeshua's sacrifice worked in, in, in reverse. When he offered his sacrifices all those people that offered sacrifices all those years his sacrifice actually covered those sacrifices so that's how it worked. That's not what it says in Leviticus. And the reason why that this confusion is this issue of takes away sins and forgives or atones. Now first of all Yeshua's sacrifice of himself does atone. It is an atonement. Most, no question about that. The question is not atonement. The question is, does it take away, Does do sacrifices take away sin? That's the question. And the answer is, no, they don't. They never did. They were never intended to take away sin. What were they intended to do? They were intended to do two things. To atone and or, depending on the sacrifice, to Provide forgiveness for sin. What's the difference between that and take away sin?
1: Barb talked about atonement is the cover. And the, if you were having a covered so that way you can enter the presence of God, there's a difference between having it covered so you can enter the presence of God and it being completely gone and not ever
0: there. That's it. Isn't that something? That's right. I have sin I'm dirty Here's, think of it this way you get a little dirty uh, you know working around the house working in the yard you get a little dirty and you go and wash are you done washing the rest of your life? no in fact if, if someone important was coming to your house you'd go take a bath and you'd meet them and they go well you don't smell bad You don't look dirty. You'd be presentable. And then later on, the next day, maybe you'd be working in the yard again. You'd be all dirty. Well, you know, if someone comes important again, you have to go get cleaned up. But that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the sacrifices serving the purpose of getting cleaned up in order to meet the king well that 's one reason we 're going to get into karvana law which was a different point but that 's think of the forgi- think of the uh, the difference between forgiveness and taking away sin or atonement and taking away of sin in that view it 's temporary it 's only temporary it 's temporal it 's about here and now i can 't go into the temple with icky on me, <laughs> which is a whole if you if you study the differences between Clean and unclean, tameh and tahor. That's exactly what you understand. You understand that tameh is a temporary state. Well, tahor is a temporary state as well. To be clean is temporary, because you're going to have something happen. Happens in just re- regular life. Happens, you know. Oops, I touched a dead thing. Well, you know, that's it. I am now tameh. I can no. I can't go into the presence of of the Lord until I go through the process of getting cleaned up. What is that process? Is it, is it a spiritual process? No, it's not a spiritual process. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual process in the sense that all of our relationship with God is spiritual, but it's a physical process in order to make myself physically presentable to the Lord. That's the whole point. The blood of bulls and goats, by the way problem, a lot of problems with the reading this passage. We're going to look at Yom Kippur here. Uh, I think it's next week. The problem with a lot of the way that people read this is they read bulls and goats and they think that's sacrifices. No. When it says bulls and goats, it means Yom Kippur, period. That's what it's talking about. It doesn't matter because no sacrifice takes away sins other than Yeshua's sacrifice. The point of it is here is he's discussing Yom Kippur and he's going to go through two chapters talking about Yom Kippur. And making this connection for them. There's something about Yom Kippur that he wants to draw them to. Which is an interesting question. Because is Yom Kippur, when we look at it next week, you're going to see this. Yom Kippur is not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. Okay?
1: How do you
0: know? How do I know? It
1: means Yom Kippur and he says the blood of those
0: Okay, let's go back and look at what it uh, Actually, because uh, that's the context of 10.4 of right there. Where it says... Uh, Go up to uh, verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. Bulls as well. There are sacrifices that are bulls and go- or goats, but there's no sacrifice that's bulls and goats for a person. You don't go, hey, I'm coming to give a bull and a goat. Right? So it's, it's not talking about a personal sacrifice, it's talking about a communal sacrifice. Have I said, anybody got questions before we move on in this
1: one? i to point out the fact that during Yeshua's time, the, um, the people offering sacrifices to Jewish people were not offering them to obtain eternal forgiveness. On the contrary, the majority of Jewish people said, I'm Jewish. That's good enough. Therefore, if you lived in Greece... Very good. You did not Excellent. ...because you couldn't go off for a sacrifice...
0: Good tonight. point. Excellent point. Excellent point. We'll get to it here again in a second, but let's just touch on it real quickly. When someone sinned and they lived in Crete, okay, Joseph Barnaba, Barnabas, he sinned. He lives in Crete. You know... But you know, you know,, God forbid he dies before he gets to Jerusalem, or he's, that's it, "My salvation's gone." Well, of course not. How silly. No, The, the, the idea was when, when Barnabas came to Jerusalem, not as he was required to, it's as if he lived in a land, he lived in a land, he came because he wanted to. Why would he want to? I mean, he came at Passover. He came at whatever. You know, maybe he came just a couple times every few years. Who knows? Maybe maybe he never came before before he, he was a believer. Who knows? Let's say he did, though. When he came, he made a special trip. He wanted to go he wanted to go visit visit the temple. He wanted to go visit the Lord. Well, he had to make sure that before he visited the Lord, he didn't get struck dead. <laughs> you know, it could be a really bad thing to have a good religious experience and die in the process of it. So that's the reason for these sacrifices. He wants to make sure that he doesn't get struck dead in the process of going. That's why he makes sure that, you know, if he touched a dead body, he goes through the seven days of, of purification, or, or if he has some other, he touches, a, he touches some, a bug or touches somebody else. Oh, touches somebody else that's touched a dead body. It was a great, great question we had come up when we were in the Ophel. So we have, we're standing by a mikvah uh, the immersion pool. It says, if a man goes down into the immersion pool to get cleansed of having touched a dead body, he's gone through seven days. He goes into the immersion pool. He's going to go up to the temple. As he's coming out of the immersion pool, he sees a friend of his who is not unclean. He's he's going up to the temple. He sees a friend of his before he comes up out and before he goes down in the immersion pool. Rather, if he touches his friend, his friend cannot go up to the temple for seven days and after he goes through immersion, but he can go into the immersion pool and immediately go up to the temple. He is unclean, but because he's gone through his seven days of purification and then the immersion, he can go up to the temple. But if he touches his friend before immersion, his, his friend can't go up to the temple until he waits seven days. So it's a big deal about this contagious as it were, contagious uncleanness. Well, what's that all about? It's to keep from getting struck dead. <laughs> it's a bad thing. to go, You know, going to the Temple Mount would be a wonderful thing, but it would be a bad thing to die in the process.
1: This is also why you see in Leviticus, why they have to offer offerings that would appear to be, quote-unquote, sin offerings for sins of ignorance. Exactly. For issues like touching a dead body, which is not necessarily a sin, quote-unquote, That's right. Thought. And for even sins that are somewhat involuntary, like for example, if you did something, like every one of the listings is like touching the dead body by accident, you didn't even
0: mean to. That's right. It's it's not a sin, but you offer a sin offering. Why? Uh, a, a perfect example is the end of a Nazarite vow that we saw. We saw when we did Acts and talked about Paul went to the end of a Nazarite vow. He had to offer a sin offering as part of the ending it as. What's up with that? He didn't sin. Well, the whole the whole point is that we are in a. creation that is, in fact, dying because of sin. We are infected, we are polluted by sin, even if it's not our sin. Nature itself is being affected by sin. And so, if we're going to bring ourselves into the presence of the Lord, we need to be clean, and I'm talking about on the outside do we have to be clean on the inside? Absolutely. And that's the question that came up with people who, like, like, like Saul, who didn't have a heart that was inclined, or Cain, who didn't have a heart that was inclined to the Lord, but they're going through all the process. Like, what good did that do? Well, so they didn't get struck dead, but did they really have the experience? Did they really worship God? And the answer is No. There's no contradiction between Hebrews and Leviticus. The korbanot, that's plural for korban, were never meant to take away sins in an eternal sense. They were always temporal. Always temporal. Do they point to an eternal sacrifice? Absolutely. Without question. But remember, what is the temple tabernacle about? Well... What's the writer of Hebrews tell us that he's trying to draw conclusions from? He says, I'm speaking about the world to come. So what's the Temple Tabernacle about? The world now. Olam hazeh. This present age is what they're about. Yeshua serves in a Temple that is about Olam Haba. The world to come, forever, eternity. So his sacrifice has to do with an eternal sacrifice. Okay, here are the five major korbanot. Korbanot. Uh, korban is to draw near. That's what it means. It comes from a root means to draw near. So that tells you exactly what it's all about. It's about drawing near to God. That's what it's for. In fact, when you when you you use that phrase, when you went into the when you went into the temple, when you went to the altar, you give your give your sacrifice to the priests for it to be offered up. You, you it's talking about drawing near. That's exactly what Paul does in in Ephesians chapter two. He talks about those who are not in the commonwealth of Israel are now able to draw near. It's talking about being able to come in to the presence of God. Okay. Leviticus one is talking about kloban olah. Burn offering is a really bad English phrase to describe this because it's not about being burned. It is burned. It's consumed entirely on the altar. Uh, remember the tamid offerings? You had to have the tamid offerings the one in the beginning at uh, shakarit morning service one in the afternoon afternoon service right? And in between went all the other sacrifices. So there was no sacrifice offered on the offering before the tamid in the morning and there was no sacrifice offered after that eat in the afternoon. So all the sacrifices that had to be brought had to be brought between those two. They sandwiched between them. And if you wanted to bring a olah, a korban olah, it would be consumed entirely on an altar. Nobody ate any of it. Okay? It was consumed entirely. It was to be, it was to ascend. And the word uh, olah, same root as aliyah, to go up. Right? To go up. So olah, went to, it's to ascend. So its purpose was to draw near to God and to ascend into His presence. It was as if you were in the smoke going up. That was the point. That was the picture. What did it feel like? I don't know. But apparently people wanted to do it because this was voluntary, completely. No one ever had to offer this. Well, priests did at various times. But your average Israelite never had to offer this. Never did. This is something he wanted to do if he sinned and wanted to go into the presence of the lord he could offer a sin offering and and leave that's it that was a good that was a good deal right he never had to do this why would he do it, it there was something in it there was some worship experience in it that, that the average israelite and this is the greatest the premier of the off- offerings this is the first one mentioned in leviticus this is the one this is the big one this is the real big one It was, a, its purpose was to be a sweet aroma. Now, go back to what we saw about Cain and Abel. Cain was not acceptable and his offering wasn't accepted. Abel was acceptable and his offering was acceptable. So what exactly, if we talk about an aroma, what exactly is the Lord smelling in an olah? Burning flesh? No. What's he smelling? Paul talks about this. We are a fragrance. So what ascended? We do. We did. They did. What did? He, what was the sweet aroma? It was a person who was, in fact, worshiping him with a with clean hands and a pure heart. That's the aroma. It is voluntary. It is not sin related. However. It's not Eden. However, it does say it makes atonement covers. Yeah. We,
1: told, we said it was sin related.
0: Okay. Good. Because it, because it said atonement. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not it's not sin related. It was voluntary. Here's the reason I'll, I'll tell you why i tell you why there's a good hint to know anytime it says voluntary it's not sin related. Now it doesn't mean that there's not some sin issue just like we talked about. Every offering has some sin issue involved because It's it's all about the fact that we can't go into his presence because we're sinful human beings. Right? But it's not directly sin related. In other words, you didn't do it because you sinned. Uh, The next one was Korban Mincha. Leviticus 2 uh, talks about this, and this is grain offerings. Its purpose was a memorial, to remember something. A portion. By the way, if you ever get a y'all, y'all know challah taken. Everybody know the the, the phrase challah is taken. You get a you get a if you if you buy a loaf of challah bread that has a label, it has some sort of label on it, or uh, anything actually any grain product that's kosher, it'll have a little note on the back. If it's if it's a rabbinic kosher, it'll have a note on the back that says challah has been taken. And what it's talking about is that a portion of every uh, mincha offering. Even if it was to be eaten, some of it had to be consumed completely on the fire of the altar. And so since there isn't a temple, you give it basically, and there's no priesthood to give it to, they say challah has been taken. It's a remembrance, it's a memorial, it's a remembrance that some of all these grain offerings had to be consumed completely, that you couldn't benefit from them. Uh, it's it's a sweet aroma again. It's to draw near. This is the second of the korban that are listed. This is a big one too. Mincha. How many times have you thought about bringing a grain offering to the Lord when you think about the temple? Well, people don't think about minchas it. coming to the temple anyway. But that's not the first thing that pops in your mind. You got to go buy a buy a lamb or something, right? Yeah, this is a real big one. Mincha offering. Okay. I
1: thought it was kind of cool. Here, but it also allows for substantial amount. Creativity on the part of the of the offer. You can fry it in the pan. You can do it with oil. You can do it. I mean, There's like five different
0: ways to do this offering Yeah. Didn't you love that table in the back? I, I didn't create that. I I I mean I put it all in there, but I I got it from 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 uh, from the uh, stone humash. Uh, what a what a amazing table. All the man. I mean we 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 only touched barely touched the surface of sacrifices. And you look at that. And then you've got to scratch your head going, well, you know, okay, if that's a shadow, what is the substance? Wow. What's that trying to teach me? Uh, the, the minka offering is voluntary. It's not, it's not sin related. It's voluntary. You know, I, you know, I had a really good crop. Let's go take some to the Lord. Korban Shalamin peace offering. It's not sin related. It's eaten as well. This is shared. It's a party. Bring your friends. <laughs> we're going to the temple. Everybody, everybody's everybody's tahor. Everybody's clean. Okay? Let's all go to the temple and let's just worship the Lord together. It's my little group, my fa- my family and friends. Let's go up and let's have I'm going to offer this peace offering and we're going to eat it before the Lord. Why? because he's worthy of praise and worship it's it's a sweet aroma it is to draw near it's voluntary it's not sin related and it's definitely eaten korban chatat this is out of the out of the first of the five big korban this is the first one that is sin related and it is the sin offering and in fact when you brought these other offerings you might have to bring this first Okay? Because you know it'd be great to go offer a peace offering, but it'd be really a bummer with you and your family there to get struck dead before you got a chance. Atonement and forgiveness it's not, it's not voluntary. In other words you, you, if you're going into the temple, you must offer this if you have sinned. You must bring this if you have sinned. It's not it, it is sin related and it's not eaten. Okay? Which is contrasted to Leviticus 5, Korban Asham, the guilt offering, because this is eaten, or at least parts of it are eaten. By the way, the Chatat, there's an inner Chatat and an outer Chatat. And so there's two different types of sin offering. Uh, it depends on whether it's on the inside or on the outside of the temple proper, or the tabernacle proper. The outer Chatat, I believe, is the one that's eaten because that's personal. The inner is not. Get that right. I got that chart out. Uh, yes, the outer khatat is is eaten by the priests. The inner khatat is burned outside the camp. It's not eaten. Okay. We
1: just suggesting
0: now. eaten sometimes. Uh, no, and that's all I asked for you. Yeah. But the, the reason I put all this in here is so that you can see that there's. A lot more involved in this than just as we just scratch the surface, right? Here's the contrast: Hebrews ten four and eleven. The contrast from Hebrews nine thirteen. Now, quite honestly, the people who like to read that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin rarely do they read Hebrews nine thirteen, which says. For if the blood and bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean sanctifies. By the way, that is in the present tense. It continues to sanctify for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Messiah, through the eternal Spirit, offering Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What does it say? The blood and bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, they do sanctify. They do purify the flesh. Do they offer the idea of being of sins being taken away? No. That's right in the same that's, that's only a chapter apart The saying it works. The next chapter says it doesn't work. Well, it depends on what you're looking at. It doesn't work in the sense of taking your sins away. It does work in the sense of purifying and sanctifying the flesh for what purpose, just like we talk, so you don't get struck dead in the in the process of worshiping this awesome and all consuming God. So the contrast is this is the same same contrast you saw the with tabernacle on earth tabernacle in heaven tabernacle on earth is temporary temporary temporal temporary and temporal in the sense that, that you know it's not there now No tabernacle in heaven still there how about the priesthood of, of, of Aaron well there, it is an eternal priesthood but you know there are no priests serving and in fact even if they were serving they die every 70 years or so so you've got to have a new one whereas Yeshua is eternal so different domains is the key. The sacrifices are the same thing. Different domains. There is a domain that is earthly, physical, that you can see. And there is a domain that is invisible, spiritual, that you can't see. Which is real? They're both real. Which is better? The one that lasts is better. Does anyone want eternal life versus the life that you have now? Well, is the life you have now a bad thing? No. Even if you were suffering, even people that suffer, most of the time, still want to live. Which is better? Eternal life? Or the life that is temporary? Well, eternal life, of course. But does that make the temporal life bad? Absolutely not. They're both life. One's better than the other. One lasts. The other doesn't. And it's not just in time or in, or in, in space, but it is, it is qualitatively better as well. It's a better life. In the same way, the qualitative difference between the priesthood of Yeshua and the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of Yeshua is qualitatively better because his life is qualitatively better. In the same way, his sacrifice is qualitatively better, in fact, infinitely better than the sacrifices which merely permitted me to keep from being consumed when I entered into the presence of God in the tabernacle or in the temple. I shouldn't have said the word merely, but the point is, in contrast to the sacrifice of Yeshua, which is eternal in nature. Questions? Comments? I
1: think it's interesting. One of the first instances of that that finally correlates with so much that the sacrifice occurs in Genesis, right after the sin of Adam. 8. And it is the occasion when God kills the, some sort of animal to give them a skin covering so that they would not be ashamed in the presence of God. Um, it's interesting that that's that not a situation that's giving them eternal forgiveness. No. And they can go to heaven, quote unquote. Very good. But it is allowing them to interact with God good. in a relatively normal way. And that
0: is, in fact, the first picture that we have, and it's implied, but the first picture that we have of sacrifice, is the animal had to die so that they could be covered, so that they could have some sort of conversation, whether it's a conversation to say, well, sorry, you're out of here now, but at least some sort of of interaction with the Almighty. The sacrifices were never meant to take away sins, they were never meant to perfect men and women they don't they don't perfect anything they make it they make you prepared they clean you up in order to meet the king but you're going to get out and get dirty again it's it's part of life even if you don't intentionally do something it's just it's part of life it's part of this sinful world that we live in there were a means that sinful man could approach a holy God. We see this ever-increasing holiness as we move in from the camp or from outside the camp where the lepers and others were. Moving into the camp, as we move in, we see ever-increasing levels of holiness where we get to the c- circle around the tabernacle it's only Levites living. And then we see, we enter the tabernacle, it's only people who are clean and or um, uh uh, Kohen, Aaron's descendants. Um, And then we move into the holy place and it's only Aaron's descendants. And then we move into the holy of holies and it's only one man, the high priest. And we see this ever-increasing holiness, ever-increasing... And by the way, every one of those places, uh, with the exception, of obviously, of those outside the camp, every one of those places is necessary. Necessary. Imagine if you were... You had to live in the presence of God. it be impossible. You'd be consumed. The moment something something happened, when you became unclean, even if it was not intentional, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, your cat brought in a dead a dead mouse and dropped it on your foot. You know, I, I didn't do that, uh, but that's it. Wham! You're dead. Well, it's a good thing that you have the camp outside of the presence of God for that to happen, that you could prepare yourself before going into His presence. So, guess what? The tabernacle, remember the tabernacle system, the protocols were meant for one thing, to protect us from the consuming presence of God. They were meant to protect us. The sacrifices were meant to protect us from the consuming, because He wants to dwell among us, but He can't, being a holy God, without some sort of protocol to keep us from being consumed. These are the protocols. But also, it was a
1: covering so that you... Exactly. Without being consumed, and that that was the whole purpose of all of these offerings was so that you could make that approach. You could so that you wouldn't, and that it was that these sacrifices are always made where His presence dwells. That's right. You, that's why they were forbidden. Exactly right. Sacrifices in any other place on top of hills on any altar with whatever they have Good have. point. You know, just like pain You
0: had to do it God's way. That's right. And that's a good point. You know, the reason why we wouldn't offer sacrifices outside of where his name was, what's the point? If we did that, would we not be, that it would be our own way, but would we not also being like the heathens trying to appease God in some way? Or trying to impress our friends by our piety? Right?
1: I think it's also an interesting thing to note that God's not this wrathful, violent fire that we're trying to keep from being destroyed when we enter his presence. The only reason that sacrifices were necessary was because God was holy. It wasn't because God didn't want to meet with us and we had to somehow find a way in. He loves us and wants to interact with us. Very good. I'm reminded of the situation with Moses on the mountain. He wants to see the face of God. Very good. And God tells him that you can't see my face because any man who sees it will be will have to die because I'm holy. But at the same time, look at it, he provides a covering with his hand mm-hmm. as he passes by, and then he lifts his hand to allow Moses to see the back. That's good. And that's sort of the idea here. God wants to interact with people, and this is an opportunity for a sinful man in a sinful world to interact with a holy God who can't interact with sin.
0: That's good. That's good. There's, 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 what was that man's name, Janet? At Oat? DeFani, this this guy's making tefillin in the back of this shop, and I was back talking to him. I had a translator back talking to him, and and uh, he's 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 telling me tefillin are like when. He says it's like this, when, God, when Moses went up into the presence of God, God put him in the rock and then covered him with his hand. He said, tefillin are like that. They're like, they're like the hand covered. Well, you can approach in the presence of God and not be consumed. He's talk about it like this. But his, what he, the, he's, where he started getting really excited was his idea of being able to see the back. He says it's being able to see the back of Hashem having been covered with his hand. And he says this is the pinnacle of Moses' spiritual life. You know, no time after that did Moses ever ascend to that level. And that's exactly right. And this in some regard is what the sacrifices were about. Somehow being close enough to see his back, to experience him in some way. Nowhere like Moses had. But in some way a piece of that and to be covered with his hand, the sacrifices were to be covered with his hand. They were the atonement. They basically provided a way that you could have this wonderful worship experience without paying for it with your life. You know, and and you know, if, if my guess is, if you were to ask Moses, what would have been worth it? He said, of course. Huh. Are you kidding? To die would have been fine. I mean, you know, I mean, that was such a great experience. But we have a gracious and loving God. And he has things for us to do. And so it wasn't for Moses to die, so he covered him with his hand. And in the same way, we have the sacrifices as a, as a means by which we could have experience. Now, we don't have that. What do we have? Do we have something inferior? Absolutely not. We have something superior, because it, and this is the point he's making. If the blood of bulls and ghosts and the ashes of a red heifer, 9.13, are able to purify and sanctify the flesh, how much more is the sacrifice of Yeshua able to save us completely, right, eternally? Now, the experience that we have in this life may not have that same level of sensory perception. But remember, that's why he's teaching them this. It's not all about your feelings. <laughs> feelings are good, but it's not all about your feelings. There's something more important. Certainly, to live for eternity with him would far surpass any sensory uh, feelings or any sensory uh, uh, proximity to him now. And and that's the point that he's making in this book. That's exactly why he's making this point. Understanding temporal applicability, in other words, it being... Uh, in this physical world is the key to understanding the picture that we 're getting in this book. when we move into chapter uh, Chapter Nine in a few weeks and go through the tabernacle system and, it's, and the presentation that the author gives the writer gives us to give us this level of an understanding of the of the nature of reality, the unseen and the seen as a whole in the nature of reality it 's going to be really important that we 've laid this groundwork because it it like it makes it so. Wow! It makes this book so much easier to understand because otherwise you scratch your head and say he's contradicting Leviticus, he's contradicting Exodus. He's not contradicting at all. He's giving us he's giving us the fine points. I mean, we are being we are being treated to a uh, incredible uh, and intellectual, but an incredible view of what it was all about. And is all about. Remember, it's about the world to come in which we are speaking. Any final comments before we close?
1: people in this background also gives a lot of the the emotion and the power behind the reason for his argument. The more that you say the sacrifices, the more that you think about the emotional and the the sensory experience they're having with God. The more that you can begin to understand why the writer of Hebrews finds it so necessary to tell them, "Don't give up Yeshua." because of the sacrifices, because the priests are telling you, that if you want to come in here to the sacrifice Good. you have to deny what you do it. And so it, and I think it creates it, it lets you realize a sense of urgency. And they were having it in the first century because you're going wow, the greatest part of our spiritual experience is being taken away from us unless we deny Him, and that's part of what's going on. And
0: we we live in Jerusalem. How are we not going to participate in the Passover? I mean, come on. I mean, how we, we live in Jerusalem. How are we not going to go and do Shavuot? Shavuot. We live in Jerusalem. How can we not go up to the Tabernacle during during Sukkot? We have to. I mean, it's like you know, this is it's impossible to think of. Well, they they have to think about it. That's right. It's a closing prayer. My Father, we thank you for uh, Yeshua and for the work that he did. Lord, we thank you that it is not simply uh, uh, temporal or or about a, a feeling or an experience. My Father, it is far more. You, you have redeemed us for eternity. You have given us an opportunity to spend our time our, uh, our eternal life in your presence. And Father, it is only because of his work and his work alone. We know that you are gracious and in giving us an opportunity to know you, that you have approached us. You have done all that is necessary for life and godliness, and you have given it to us as a gift. And we thank you for that. We praise you for it. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.